Well, first of all, Happy New Year. Thanks. Second, welcome to this gathering of Heart of Life today. And third, welcome to winter, right? It, it is on now. And uh, just hearing conversations today and, and people say, hey, this person was calling me, this person was calling me asking this question. Today is probably one of those good days. It's the first day of the year, first Sunday of the year to talk about Heart of Life's weather policy on cancellations, all right? So here's Heart of Life's weather policy on cancellations. We don't, all right? We just usually, when I say we don't, that's not totally true because, yeah, once in the last 22 years, as far as I can remember, we weren't able to meet together. And that was because there was a layer of ice that just could not be defeated and it just wasn't safe for anybody to be on. So when it's ice, that's a different story, but when it's snow, um, we are grateful for some folks who go to work. Some of them went to work yesterday in, in different locations, slinging salt, you know, pushing snow off sidewalks. Uh, grateful for the folks who, who uh, even this morning before there was daylight, they were in parking lots pushing uh, to make it possible. So when we can, we are here. And we just encourage you to make that determination and what's safe, where you are, what you can get to. Um, but if at all possible, we'll be here. Sometimes you just don't know until the morning of. Um, and this is a great example because this time the prediction was eight inches. And we got one-ish, right? One-ish, something like that. So if you're in our area... You can always go to heartoflife.org. That's the place. Go to the website. If something is canceled, we will put it on the website. You can immediately go there and you can get the answer that you're looking for. And if you don't live in our area today and you live like somewhere super warm, welcome, right? We're glad you're here, right? I'm just kidding. We really are glad you're here. Uh, I'm excited to introduce today where we're going for the year. Now, just thinking back a little bit, 2020, I think 2020 is going to stay with us for a while in that it, it just, it's a year that changed how our world operates. Whether you like it or not, it changed how our world thinks and operates. And I don't mean just the church, but certainly the church not excluded. When I think about 2021, that one represents for me one of the effects that happened out of 2020, one represents an isolation effect for me. And what I see, what has happened in a, in a lot of people's lives, there, there is a disconnect. It is an isolation. And I don't mean church-wise just in terms of, of people that got out of the habit of attending church, period, but even an effect on how often people are engaged with one another. I'm not just talking Sundays. I'm talking 
the, the life of the body of the church, all of that together, it affects us in a way that we don't yet know. And that's why I am really excited about 2022 because 2022, that too represents what I pray becomes a correction of course for a lot of people. Together, that's what that symbolizes for me. It is the design that God has always put in place, a design of together, a design of connectedness. It's what we are going to call this year with. With. Now, for a couple of years you, you, now, you have seen these little people, these, these little symbols, right? They, they, they always represent what? Distance. It, it was about social distancing. And then there is something to that. When there's sickness and there's an appropriate step that needs to, to be taken there. But what we want to do in 2022 is in the middle of all of that distancing is to remind us of something so powerful that God has made us for. He made us to be with one another, with him. And the book, at least the one we're going to land on, one of the books of the Bible that so clearly states that truth is a little book called Philippians. So I'm encouraging you to start getting familiar with where Philippians is located. It's in the New Testament. We've been in Luke and Acts. It's just a little bit further down the road there. We're going to hang out in Philippians this year. There's only four chapters in the whole book. Last year, we did 52, right? The year before that, we did the whole entire Bible. So I'm looking forward to four chapters. There's only 104 verses in the whole book. That means we're going to be able to jump into this thing with incredible detail, and it's even going to let us study other passages in the Bible that relate to the topics and the themes that we're going to find in Philippians. So speaking of other passages, that's also a part of what we want to give you this year in what we often call our reading plan together. So some tools that we want to give you, the last several years we we read scripture together. And so one of those is is what's called a, a plan of reading um, intersections. And if you go to Heart of Life, again, go to the website. If you go to resources, you're going to find this tab. You'll be able to, to open this up, and, and this is what it looks like. Really cool. So, so you got, here's what you read on Monday. It's just a couple of verses, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and then it's got a reference from Genesis. On Tuesday, there's a reference from Isaiah. On Wednesday, a reference from Matthew, and on and on. And the idea is, as you read those texts throughout the week, the big question is, what is the connection between these? 
right? It's not just something that God says in Philippians, but it's something that is consistent throughout his word. What are the connections between each of those passages? There's some questions at the bottom that help you for each day, right? You're, you're reading uh, the scripture on Monday, and the question is, what does this passage say about God? What does it say about humanity, right? W- what am I learning here? It, some questions just to help you walk through it. I'm encouraging you to jump on board with this reading plan. Every day you're in God's word and we're doing it together. Creates conversation, creates growth. But there's one more piece that I really wanna highlight for you today and it is a piece that we have never done. What if we add this year a little scripture memory. And all the people went, yes, memory. Let's memorize some scripture. And it's so weird. It's so weird to me how people respond when you say, hey, let's memorize some scripture. And it's like, we just freak out. I'm reminding you that you memorize stuff all the time. Some of you, it is scary how many songs you know that you didn't learn at church, right? It is scary how much information, because when you repeat something, when you hear something, when you look at something over and over again, ways that you do certain things at work and beyond, you memorize a ton of stuff. You can. And what we've put together this year is a a plan that I really, there are no excuses for any of us in not being able to be a part of this. Here's why. You go to resources, another tab, it gets you to this plan. And this is three tracks. Track one this week would be memorizing verses one and two. The whole week, that's what you're working on, verses one and two. Every week, is two verses because there's only 104 verses in the whole book. So two verses a week, you can actually memorize Philippians. And some of you are so capable of doing that. I encourage you to get after it. Track two, you say, I don't know if I can do two verses a week. Well, how about one? One verse. Right? All week long, that every day you can look at it and memorize it. So if you're doing track two and you want to do one verse a week, this week you're going to start with verse three. You're going to learn verse three this week, next week verse four, next week verse five. While the first track is doing two, 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 you get the picture. You say, I don't even know if I can do one a week. I think you can do one a week. But if you can't, how about one every two weeks? So if you do one every two weeks... You pick track three, this week you're learning verse six in the first chapter. Two weeks you work on verse six. The next two weeks you work on verse nine. The next two weeks you work on verse 10. Here's what I want you to see. For all of us, whichever track you pick, at the end of this, we will have the opportunity to memorize blocks of scripture. If you're on this third track, you'll notice You got six, but then you got nine, 10, 11, a block of scripture. If you're on this track, you got three, four, five, six, a block of scripture. So that it's designed to where when you're done, 
you have the chance to put those things to memory. Look, I'm going to harp on this, and I'm going to harp on it over and over again. Going through my days in seminary, uh, a lot of years of school, getting the chance to meet some guys, some professors who were big into teaching spiritual disciplines. Almost every one of them would say memorizing scripture is as critical of a spiritual discipline as anything that you will learn to do. So prayer is a, is a, is a discipline, those kind of things. Fasting is a discipline. They would say learning scripture, and here's why. Because it is, it is a fundamental way of filling your mind with what you need. And if you know God's word, then you're gonna know God's word calls you to pray, and you're gonna know what it tells you about how to pray. If you memorize scripture, you're most likely gonna pray and pray better. If you know God's word, you're gonna know it calls you to be a witness. So you're likely gonna witness and be better at it. It's gonna change your attitude and your outlook on life. It, it equips you to win over sin. You will be able to comfort other people. You'll be able to provide counsel when, when people need some help in direction. They come to you and you will know God's word to be able to, to give them those truths. This is one of those disciplines. It strengthens your relationship with God because you are storing text in your mind that helps you relate to God for who he really is. So I'm not gonna give up on this. You might as well go ahead and jump on board this week. I'm gonna stay after you and encourage you. Pick one of the tracks. Pick one of the tracks. And let's make this a part of a habit, a healthy habit that I believe with all my heart God's going to use in a great way this year. All right? So in the time we got left today, I just want to give you a little intro of this book. I want to give you a little of the background info that I think will, will help you understand better all that we're going to study along the way. Here's how it starts. Philippians Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So immediately we get who writes the book, and it's Paul, Paul the apostle. Paul that we studied in the book of, of Acts, the one who met Jesus on the road to Damascus and turned him from the one who was trying to, to take out those who, who were Jesus' followers to now he's willing to give his own life that people could know who Jesus is. If this happens to be your first day ever connected to church, I would describe the Apostle Paul to you as perhaps the greatest servant of Jesus ever. One who God used to write 13 of the letters that we find in the New Testament. 13 books of the Bible. With him is Timothy. Timothy is like Paul's um, son in the faith. He really is his spiritual son. 
Um, you can read the story back in Acts chapter 16, and I invite you to do that this week. That, that's, where, that's where Paul meets Timothy, and he kind of he takes him as his protege. He, he, he trains him, he teaches him. Paul really gives the legacy of future ministry to Timothy, if you will. Timothy's heart beats with Paul's heart. Together, Paul and Timothy. But only Paul's the author. And I'll show you why we know that in just a minute. Why would he mention Timothy? Well, because the people at, at Philippi, they know. They know Timothy. They know him and they love him. Paul is going to be sending Timothy to them. So it's sort of a, just a, a, a re-introduction. Right, hey, he's going to be coming to you. And also a lot of people believe that maybe Timothy was actually what's called in the Bible Paul's amanuensis, which is like a, a secretary. That Paul would, would speak the words and Timothy would write down the words that we are reading. Timothy was with Paul in Rome. Together they are servants servants. And this particular word for servant, sometimes in scripture, it's translated bond servant. Yes, it means ownership, but it also means allegiance. It means dependence. It means loyalty. This word for servant is not a forced behavior. It was something done willingly from love. You can read in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 21. You can also read it in the book of Deuteronomy. It, it, it says there were times that the servant would declare, I love my master and I love his family and I don't want to go free. I want to stay with this family. And the instruction that was given from God's word is that the master was able to take that servant to the judge to make it a legal matter and they would actually pierce the ear of the servant and that pierced ear became a symbol that this servant willingly out of love wants to stay a part of this family. That's the word that, that Paul uses when he's describing he and Timothy, right? They are willing bond servants. They, they, are, they are not slaves to Rome, but serving out of joy, out of willingness, out of love. To who? Jesus. Let's keep reading. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. So we got three groups of people. First of all, God's holy people. Some translations will translate that saints. And when we hear the word saints today, there's kind of a... a, a, a a mixed understanding of that. When the Bible talks about saints, it uses the word synonymous with believers in Jesus. It uses the word, it means Christians. That's who they are. They are the people who are holy, set apart by Jesus. This is who they are. And only Christians, right, are God's holy people in Christ. 
No other religion in the world uses that kind of language. Nobody says, I'm in Buddha. Nobody says, I am in Muhammad. Nobody says that I'm in Joseph Smith or anybody else. No, only the people of God are fused together, tied together with one another in Christ. Nobody else has that. He also mentions the overseers and the deacons. It just gives us a picture of of how leadership went on. Even in the early church, the overseers were the the guiding force of, of, of ministry and the deacons were the lead servers. That's the picture. But where does this happen? It happens in Philippi. Thus the name of the book, the Philippians. Just a little background. Philippi is called Philippi because it was named after a guy named Philip, as you might guess. He was the son of Alexander the Great, right? Actually, the father of Alexander the Great. I said it backwards. And this city, in the beginning, really became powerful because of the silver and gold that were located in the area. But it really became powerful because of its actual location. So back when we studied Acts, we had a few maps we got another one for you today just to help you remember where it's located, all right? It's located at the very top of the Aegean Sea. This is the Aegean. This is the Adriatic. And what you got going on in this part of the world is is you got Asia Minor that dips down into the Mediterranean Sea. You got Greece that dips down into the Mediterranean Sea. You got Italy that dips down. And you got these these seas that are running up into them. The point is, if anybody's going to travel east and west, where do they travel? They got to go across the top. And that meant you went right through Philippi. It was also a pass for the mountain range that was located there. So if you didn't want to scale the tops of those mountains, Philippi was the place that you traveled through. It it was located on on what was called the Ignatian Highway, about 500 miles that would trek to Italy. Then that would connect to the the Appian Way. I I mean, it was just located in a very commerce, busy trading area. It was also a Roman colony, which was a cool place to live. You weren't taxed by Rome. You governed yourselves. Philippi was a pretty cool town. But why does the memory of this place live on and on? The reason the memory of this place lives on and on is because the Apostle Paul, while in prison, wrote a little letter to the followers of Jesus there. And when he did, it immortalized the name forever. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace, charis, peace, irony. It's in the Hebrew, you think about shalom. I wish you grace. I wish you peace. Grace is the gift of God. Peace is the result of that gift. The source is God the Father. The source is is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm gonna, anybody understand yet that the Apostle Paul is big on Jesus? 
We are two verses in, and he's already called the name of Jesus three times. Well, get ready, because in the book of Philippians, 50 times Paul will say the name of Jesus. Jesus is the center of everything for him. I wish you grace. I wish you peace. We would say, I wish the best for you. It was a common greeting. Verse 3. Verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. And I'm going to say this is one of the reasons we know that only Paul authored this book. What is the pronoun? I, not we. And all the way through the rest of this book, it is just a singular first person. Paul is the author. And here he's saying, I thank God for the memories that I have with you. Now, remember how all this started? (coughs) Paul on that missionary journey, he's trying to figure out where to go next. He's, he's there in Asia Minor, and he's trying to figure out if he can go north. He's trying to figure out which way to go, and the Holy Spirit kept saying, nope, you're not going that way, you're not going that way. We, we studied it in Acts chapter right, 15 and 16, that territory. And Paul heard the call, the Macedonian call, God calling Christianity from Asia Minor to Europe. And again, I encourage you to go back and read Acts chapter 16 this week. When Paul says, I'm thankful for all the memories, he's reminded of Lydia. Lydia is the first believer on that new new territory. The Bible says that God opened her heart. She became a follower of Jesus. The church would meet in her home. She was was a woman who showed incredible hospitality to Paul and Silas after they were imprisoned. When he says, I'm thankful for the memories, he he remembers the the demon-possessed girl. You got got to read the story. Through, Through God's power, Paul cast out the demon. He's thankful for what he remembers that God did in Philippi. He's thankful for what happened even in the jail. And that is a context that Paul and Silas, they are whipped And then they are stretched out in those stocks. It is this really horrible description of how they would stretch their bodies. And there in the prison, in the darkness of night, Paul and Silas are doing what? You remember? They're singing. They're singing praises to God. And in the middle of all that, God sends an earthquake. He shakes the place. The jail is is broken open. The stocks, the chains, they fall off. The jailer is about to take his own life. Paul stops him. And before the story is done, the jailer and his entire household put their trust in Jesus. They have a baptism celebration And the church in Philippi is born, meeting in Lydia's house. And Paul says, I thank God when I remember you. But he's also thankful because that's not the last thing the church at Philippi has done for him. You see, the church at Philippi is the greatest example we know of in Scripture of a church that gives outside of themselves. At Corinth, they sent resources to help Paul do ministry. When he was in Thessalonica, 
they sent resources to help Paul do ministry. When he was in Rome, they sent resources. The story right at the end of Acts, you got Paul in the house in Rome. It says he was able to, to live there for two years. Well, a part of the resources is this church sent those resources to Paul. Why? Because they loved him and they expressed that love by giving gifts to him. Part of that was supplying the resources that were needed for ministry to happen wherever he was. Let's keep reading. Verse four. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul mentions joy 16 times in this book. Now, where is he when he wrote this? Prison. Prison. And yet 16 times he mentions joy. You know why? Because what he's talking about, the joy he's talking about, it is not tied to the particular circumstances that you find yourself. It is tied to the one that you are with. His name is Jesus. And so he wants them to know, even though he's going through struggles, he has joy. Trials can actually be a test of whether or not you have true joy or not. Because when you really have a joy that comes from the spirit of God, then when you go through trials, it can actually deepen your joy because it throws you off your circumstances and it throws you on to Jesus. What a cool thing for Paul to say. What a cool thing to be true. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Some of you know what I'm talking about in that there are some people that you pray for that every time you pray for them, you always pray and that God will get them out of the mess that they just created. You, you pray for certain people, but it's typically... God, here's where they are now, the decision they just made. God, will you help them, right? But then there are other people in your life that when you pray for them, there is this joy that you have. That is how Paul sees the church at Philippi. What a cool thing to say. And why would he say something so strong? The key word that we are zeroing in on on this series is this word partnership. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And that word partnership is a word that if you hang out in church very long and you start to learn some of those Greek words that sound like we're really smart, it's the word koinonia. Koinonia, which means fellowship. Fellowship. When we hear the church as a fellowship, this is the word, koinonia. Well, koinonia has a root. The root for koinonia is the word koinonos, which means partner. That's why sometimes it's translated like partnership, like it is in the translation that I read to you today. Well, the root of koinonos is koinos, which means common. 
Back in the book of Acts, we read how the early church held everything in common. That's the word. And at the root of this word is this little word pronounced soon. And most every scholar agrees this is the anchor. It simply means with. With. And what we are going to study for a year, it will take us that long to encompass what that little word means when it's attached to the gospel. What it means to have a partnership in the gospel, to be with the family of God in the gospel, to be, to be with one another. He says from the first day, right, for them, when the first day they met Jesus, he says until now, which means them supporting him while he's even been in prison, they have been part of everything necessary to see the spread of the gospel. I, over the last several months, I've found myself thinking a lot because for the last 20 plus years, many of us have shared a partnership in the gospel. We have been with one another in the gospel. Financially, yeah. Together, that's what we do. Because this mission that we've been called to, it requires resources to, to go where God tells us to go. And so financially, that's a part of it. But, but, but also the joy that I have as a pastor, because it's not just people who give of their finances, but it's actually people who do the ministry. And I found myself going, Paul, I, 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 I'm, I, no, I, I, I ain't Paul. But I get a little bit of what his heart is saying here. When you've walked something out with a group of people for such a long time, and there is a joy in my heart that you are not just believers in Jesus, but that you are serious about taking the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. There is a joy in me. There is a gratitude in me. And when, when people go, well, why would Heart of Life like give resources to like other places. Like why would we give of our resources to start something in a, another territory or another ministry or another? It's like, well, because that's what with actually looks like. That's what a people who get the gospel. That's what a people who understand the good news of Jesus and what's at stake and how far we will go and what we will sacrifice, what we will give together, where we will go together. As I read this text over the last several months, I find my own heart just leaping for joy going, yes, yes, this is not a man-made organization. 
This is a divine fellowship affected by God in Christ through the Spirit by his grace. We are a fellowship, a partnership of grace, a partnership of eternal life, a partnership of faith, a partnership of prayer, a partnership of praise, even a partnership of warfare because we fight for one another and we fight for the kingdom together. We are not perfect. But don't be mistaken, this with, it is supernatural. It is supernatural. And so Paul makes this statement that I want you to hear today, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's good news. That is good news. That what God started, he will finish. Sometimes if you look at the church where it is, you will be discouraged. But if you learn to look at the church for what it will be, you will be encouraged. Paul says, I'm sure of this. I'm sure that what I've seen God start in us together, what he saw God stir up in Philippi, what he's seen God grow in them, he's like, look, the work that God has begun of salvation in you, the work that God has begun of what's called sanctification, it means he's, he's growing you to look more and more like Jesus. He will bring that to full completion. And Paul has this joy of anticipation. Yeah, the, the church at times may have problems. There may be worries. There may be difficulties. There may be failures. But the thing that cannot be deterred is that the God who started this, who saved you, is going to finish it in all glory. And one day you will be presented as perfect in him. Whenever you see this phrase, the day of Christ Jesus, now sometimes in scripture you see the day of the Lord. If you search that out, the day of the Lord often refers to a day of judgment. It often refers to when God deals with sin and sinners. But when you see this phrase, the day of Christ or the day of Christ Jesus or the day of the Lord Jesus, it's usually talking about this day when God brings to completion the glorification of his saints, his family, the work of grace that he will finish. So I remind you today that Psalm 89 says we are under a divine faithfulness that will never be removed. And John chapter 3 says, we have an eternal life. It will never end. We will not perish. John 4 says, we drink from a spring of water that it will forever be overflowing. John 6 says, we have taken a gift that cannot be lost. John chapter 10 says, we are in the hand of the good shepherd, a hand of which we can never be taken from. Romans chapter 8, he says, from the moment you are called to the moment you are glorified, there is a chain of God events there that cannot be broken. In verse 39 of Romans chapter 8, he says, we are loved with a love that cannot be separated. In Romans chapter 11, we are recipients of a calling which cannot be revoked. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we are built on a foundation that can never be destroyed. And 1, Timothy chapter, or 1 Peter chapter 1 says, we have an inheritance that can never fade. That is the confidence that we have in the God who finishes what he starts. Always. 
people say sometimes. I get this. I, I, I don't want to be in the church because there are too many hypocrites. I have learned to give a response that often goes like this. Oh, come on in. You'll feel right at home. But seriously, here's what I know. God's not finished. He's not finished. And no, we are not perfect. And there are moments that we have to deal with hypocritical action. But he's not finished. And when it's done, there will be perfection. I invite you to let that take a deep breath because the pressure is off in regards to that. You can actually enjoy ministry. You can actually enjoy your church. You can actually love what you do and who you are together. We're not ignoring where we need to grow, but we're keeping our eyes on the truth that God will finish this perfectly. Let me just read a couple more verses and we'll wrap this up. I just want you to hear the heart behind these next. Verse seven, Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Can you hear his heart? You hear how he loves them? Look at verse eight. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You hear Paul's love and you hear this desire of his to be together with them. Most of you are well aware, some of us more than others, um, Facebook has begun this process of rebranding um, with a new name, a new process that is called Meta. Perhaps you've seen some of the commercials. Perhaps you've seen some of the um, instruction about, you know, what, what this is going to be. Um, I, I am in no way qualified to give you the full version, but meta is connected to the, to the idea of, of creating a, a metaverse. And the idea is, in my simple terms, uh, through virtual reality, all right, you're, you're able to put on the VR goggles and you are able to step into these experiences, if you will, right? Not, not just typing something on a page anymore, not just viewing something on a, on a page anymore, but, but you are actually able to step into an experience. It, it is technology that is quite remarkable. Um, the gaming world already sort of knows some of this um, the fitness world is already dabbling in some of this, but, but, the, but the vision that, 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 that Zuckerberg and others have is just, you will be able to, to do this. You, you can have a party. And, and 
a virtual reality party and everybody shows up at the party. Like not really at your house, but, but you can show up at the house that you have built in this virtual reality world. You have a home and people can come to it and, and it's like you are there. It's like you are in the experience. And the, the idea is to be able to incorporate this into a, a system of commerce and that, that there's actually work can happen this way. You, you, you can actually go to a, a concert, for example, and someone can join you by virtual reality in this concert, it is quite remarkable technology. Now, you can show up there as whatever avatar you want. So it doesn't even have to actually look like you. It can be whatever you want it to look like, which kind of brings us back to the same facade that Facebook presents, right? When you look at everybody else on Facebook and man, their lives are fantastic. Now don't hear me wrong today because honestly, we're gonna do with Meta what we do with everything. We're gonna look at the technology and go, is there some way that, that this can be used to introduce more people to Jesus? Because most of the time, technology is not the evil in the picture. It's what people do with it. But I also want us to realize that meta stems from recognizing the fact that Facebook falls short. In the sense that people can look like they are connected to the whole world, but not actually be connected to anyone. Meta is just another of man's attempt to find with. It's just another of man's attempt to find with. And if you listen to the Apostle Paul, even today and how he speaks to the Philippians, he figured this out long before Zuckerberg, right? He, he, there is another path and it's not something brand new. It is actually a well-worn ancient path called with. And I cannot think of a greater message for our world today, a world that is already isolated and disconnected from God and a world that is growing in isolation and disconnection from one another. The message that is needed is with. Our God with us and a people designed to be with one another with the greatest mission in the world to take the good news to the ends of the earth. Join us on this journey. Join us on this journey. And let's ask God to open our hearts and open our eyes, open our minds and make us who he's called us to be. Let's pray.
God, I want to thank you just personally that when I read even these first verses of this little book, I find my heart able to agree with the Apostle Paul who long ago had a, had a heart toward a people in Philippi. And I am grateful, God, for what you have done in my heart over the last 20 plus years because of these that I have had the privilege to walk this with. And I am excited about this day, a day in a culture that is uncertain, a day in a culture that is searching. God, it is a day that I believe you have empowered us, your church, with you, with one another, that together we can declare your greatness to this world. So God, I'm asking for wisdom as we study. I'm asking that you will give us a perseverance. There are some folks today, God, who are terrified of this whole memory thing. I'm asking, God, that you would give us courage just to to step in, that you would give us a a, a perseverance to to create those habits, God, that that you tell us, God, it, it changes how we see you. It changes how we see the world around us. God, will you give us courage to take right steps? Will you in us together open eyes and hearts, God, that you would make us a people that are truly together? Will you grow our love for you? Will you grow our love for love for one another in such a way that people know? That people know. A man can't make this, but God can. God, I thank you for what you're gonna do. Make us willing. In the name of Jesus, I pray.